0: Well, I'm not going to go through. I usually go through and catch you up to date with everything that we've gone through. But let me just ask if one person here can tell me the first thing that we said was, if you open up your booklet, let's see what kind of notes you took. Knowing God makes worry unnecessary. Why? Who, who, Who can tell me why we said? What was our point there? Something about the name. Who can remember Jehovah. And what what does that mean? What does the name Jehovah mean? Past, present, and future. Diane, you get a book from my favorite author tonight because you remembered that. And it is signed for you too. So there you go. Well, we're going to look at a little bit more about the sheep tonight. We're going to look at some of the valleys that we go through. But before, I wanted to just see. we talked about these sheep and how they don't intend to get into some of the messes that they get into, but because they're just ornery sheep like we are, they find themselves in messes. So watch this video. Let's see what this... <laughs> Is that not hilarious? And I want you to look at the other sheep they're looking like, what What did you do? I told you not to do that. You know you're not supposed to go that way. Is that not hilarious? So when you get yourself into a mess this week, just remember, we like sheep. We just tend to do things like that. And then we've also talked about the fact that sheep know their shepherd's voice. It's been so fascinating to me over the years. I guess I've gone to Israel, I don't know, 12 or 15 times. And it's always interesting when you get out and you see a shepherd with sheep, you may see two or three different shepherds with different sheep. And somehow, even though they're crisscrossing, The sheep that belong with that shepherd always know to follow him. Just like we hear the shepherd's voice and we know it. So I want you to watch, and I'm going to talk you through this. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Just watch this. We're going to do it without the sound. Uh, They were trying to prove that sheep do know their particular shepherd's voice. So here's a shepherd that's going out and he's calling these sheep and they are paying him absolutely no attention. They're not even looking up at him. This is shepherd number one. Here comes shepherd number two. He's going to go out. He's going to call the sheep. And kind of like when you call your children. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing happens. That's shepherd number two. And she's she's trying everything. Come on. I'm going to give you something to eat. But no, they're not going to come up. I give up. Okay, here comes number three here again she's going to have a little voice that she thinks it's a it's a high pitched voice that they'll surely come to her but no they don't do it but now next the shepherd to these particular sheep is going to step up and he just starts just just talking he's just talking and he gets a little louder and he's going to say okay girls here i am you need to come on let's let's come on come to the shepherd and i want you to watch you see they've already picked up they're listening They're hearing his voice. I know who this is. I know his voice. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) is that not the neatest thing? They know his voice and they all come. I just thought maybe you would enjoy those two little videos. Okay, we've looked at several of the causes of stress in our life. And we're looking at the 23rd Psalm. We looked at worry and we talked about why we shouldn't worry because knowing God, knowing Jehovah makes worry unnecessary. We talked about the busyness, how we can get involved in so many good things instead of letting the Lord take us to the best things. We looked at aimlessness. You know, what do I do? I know the Lord wants me to do something, but I just don't know what, so I sometimes get paralyzed and I don't make a decision at all. And then we talked about last week the need to have our soul restored. Literally, the word is, he brings back my soul. And though we may not can describe it, we've all been there. We've been to times when we just were empty, where we've given out, we've given out, we've given out, and we've need our, needed our soul restored. And there's a promise for that in the 23rd Psalm. Well, tonight, we're going to look at valleys. We all go through valley situations. In the Old Testament, there's several valleys. Joshua 7.24 talks about the valley of calamity. And the valley of giants. Second Kings talks about the valley of ditches. If you have teenage drivers, you just might have had to get your teenager out of a valley of ditches. Psalm 84.6, the valley of weeping. We all go through valleys of weeping from time to time. Jeremiah 19.6 is the valley of slaughter. And I'm going to tell you, there are times that I felt like I was a a lamb being taken to slaughter. You just go through one thing and then another thing and then another thing and another thing. Joel 3.14 talks about the valley of decision. Some folks seem to live in the valley of indecision because they just can't make up a decision about something. But look at Joel 3.14, and they'll talk about that. But there's no valley that's as threatening or as frightening as the valley of death. It's certain that if you haven't to this point, at some point in your life, you're going to walk through that valley. In Hebrew, the word is the valley of deep darkness. And if you've been there, that describes it really well. In November of 1988, I was living in Chesapeake, Virginia. We were pastoring a church there, um, a growing church, an active church. I had three young children, three children that were six and under. I was involved in everything at the church. Uh, went home for Thanksgiving. My mother had been diagnosed six years prior with breast cancer and had done pretty well, Uh, was going back and forth to MD Anderson. I would go with her every six months, and she had come out of remission, but they were able to control her cancer with chemotherapy. So I went home the week of Thanksgiving, planning to just stay with her that week. I went with her to the hospital, there in Greenwood for her chemotherapy treatment. And while she was there, they did scans, and she came out from her treatment. They wheeled her out because it was very difficult for her, and she very seldom walked back to the car. But they wheeled her out. I was sitting with her out in the waiting room, waiting for the doctor to come in. And what the doctor came and told us was very grim news. Mom's cancer had exploded, literally exploded all over her body. It was in her bones it was in her skull, it was in her chest area, it was in her chin area here, it was everywhere. And the word for us was very grim. They didn't think Mother was going to live much more than a few weeks. So I made the decision with my husband, who was very kind, to go home and stay with mom, to live with mom and dad for the last weeks of her life. Courtney and Trey stayed with Mac in Chesapeake, and I had Wills with me. I was still nursing Wills. He was 18 months old, but I was still nursing him, so he had to stay with me. I'm going to tell you, I went through the valley of the shadow of death with my mom and dad. Dad and I became mom's principal caregivers. Now, my dad had been through two heart attacks, had suffered two heart attacks. mother was the love of his life the absolute love of his life, and right after her diagnosis, he suffered his first heart attack. And then when she came out of remission, he suffered another heart attack. So I was there, and I felt like I had to be strong, not just for my mom, but for my dad. I had to go in and do probably some of what dad would have done, but he just was not able to do because his heart was broken. I had three sisters and a brother. One of my sisters was a nurse, but she lived in Houston, and she couldn't come home. The other sister didn't come home. And my third sister who lived there in Greenwood worked and came over and helped some at night. But dad and I were the ones who administered her morphine. We, we brought her into the room that I grew up in. My sister and I grew up in twin beds in a room. I was one of five children. So I've never in my life had my own room. Uh, I went from that to being married, so I've never known what it was like to have your own room. But we took one of the twin beds out, and we brought a hospital bed in, and Mom was there in the room. I slept beside her every night. I was up with her in the night all through the day, did everything that needed to be done, was trying to be strong for my sisters who were not walking closely with the Lord then. I wanted them to see, I felt like it was important for them to see how a Christian deals with a difficult time like this. My brother was very close to mom, and he went through a very difficult time. As a matter of fact, Bill has MS now. He's suffered with MS for almost 30 years. And we look back, and we feel like it was probably the stress of this time with mom that was one of the factors that brought on his MS because it was right after this that he started having pretty major problems. So I felt like I had to be strong for Bill. I was trying to be strong for everybody. And beyond that, mother refused to believe that she was dying. She just, till the she took her last breath, she was sure that the Lord was going to heal her. So I was trying to be strong for her. I was trying to be strong for everybody. And I'm going to tell you what, I had what Henry Blackaby would term a crisis of belief. Let, let me. I don't, have any of you ever done experiencing God? I have done many Bible studies through the years, but I look back and I see that experiencing God probably to this day has had the biggest impact on my life. Let me read with you what Henry Blackaby says about a time like this. He says, and I quote, when God invites you to join him in his work, he has a God-sized assignment for you you'll quickly realize you cannot do what he's asking on your own. If God doesn't help, you're going to fail. This is a crisis of belief when you must decide whether to believe God for what he wants you to do through you. At this point, many people decide not to follow what they sense God is leading them to do. Then they wonder, why don't they experience God's presence and activity the way other Christians do? The way you respond at this turning point will determine whether you become involved with God doing something God-sized that only He can do or whether you'll continue to go your own way and miss what He's purposed for your life. I'm determined at that point, God was calling me to do a God-sized thing. But I realized in the middle of the night, I couldn't do it on my own. I broke down and I cried, Lord, I can't do it. I've tried to be strong for everybody, but I'm not that strong. I can't do it. And it was in... The middle of the night that the Lord spoke to my heart and he says, no, you can't do it in your strength, but you can in mine. You know, he's jehovah Uzzy, the Lord, our strength. And there are times in life, ladies, when we have to depend on his strength. When we come to a point in our life where we realize we can't do what he's called us to do in our own strength. And I certainly felt that way that night. I cried out to him. Tonight, I want us to look at the valleys that we will face in life. And I want us to see several things. Number one, I want you to see that valleys are unavoidable. You can't avoid them, but instead, you can count on them. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus says, In this life, you may have tribulation. Is that what the verse says? No, it says in this life, you will have tribulation that 's number one number two valleys are unpredictable wouldn 't it be nice if we could schedule all of our valley experiences for Thursday afternoon at two o'clock wouldn't that be nice? It would be we could be we could be read up, we could be prayed up, we could have our friends around us, our prayer warriors around us. We could tackle anything if we knew that we were going to face our valley experience on Thursday afternoon at two o'clock, but you know what? You can't. Is there ever a good time for surgery? Is there ever a good time to lose a friend? Is there ever a good time to wreck a car, to have a flat tire? It's amazing how quickly a day can go from a mountaintop experience to a valley. All it takes is one phone call, one phone call, and it can change. Number third, I want you to see that valleys are impartial. They do not discriminate. No one is immune or insulated from valley experiences. Every person has problems. Difficult times, hard times. Every marriage, every business, every parent, every church goes through times of difficulty. You don't go through valleys because you are a bad person. You go through valleys because you are a living, breathing person person in a fallen world. Fourth, I want you to see that valleys are temporary. The good thing about valleys is that they don't last forever. First Peter 1 6 says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. When you go through valleys, don't get discouraged. They're not dead ends and they won't last forever. And some of you may say, but Debbie, what about that illness that there's no cure for? I told you my brother has MS. He and I are extremely close. We're two years apart in age, but we are almost like twins. When he was diagnosed with MS and was really going through a difficult time about three years ago, I went with him to Moscow and stayed with him for 30 days when he went through a stem cell transplant. We are There's not a day. As a matter of fact, we usually talk two or three, four times a day. We're very close. You might say, but what if he's never cured? And you know what? He may not be. He's tried everything, and we're still hoping and praying and believing that maybe he will be healed from his MS. But what if he isn't healed? Let me tell you, when you look at this present time in comparison to all of eternity, let me tell you, when he gets to heaven, His legs are going to work. His hands are going to work. He's going to be able to dance and praise the Lord. And this time that he suffered from MS is going to be like a drop of water in the Atlantic Ocean. All valleys are temporary. Number five, valleys are purposeful. God has a reason for allowing us to go through dark valleys. Now, I'm not saying that he causes them but he allows you to go through them or you wouldn't be going through it. 1 Peter one seven says, The proof of your faith, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at Joni Erickson Tata. Y'all never heard her testimony? Look at how the Lord has used her since that accident. Y'all know Dan Hall. Look at Dan Hall. Look at how God is using him now. He's pushing through that difficulty. And I dare say the Lord is using him more powerfully now than he ever has in his life. It's in the valleys that our faith is tested and proven. It's in the valley that God teaches us character. And I'm going to tell you, he's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. He's not concerned with your happiness as much as he is with your holiness. If God is going to make us more like Christ, and that's his goal for our life, every day for us to look more and more like Christ, we're going to experience much of what he experienced. Was he exempt from suffering? Loneliness? Trials? Was Jesus ever maligned, mistreated, rejected? Absolutely, yes. Jesus tells us if the world hated him, then there are going to be times that the world hates us. And ladies, are we living in a society now that so many people hate us just because we love Jesus and because we say he is the way, the truth, and the life? Absolutely, Secondly, I want you to undergird life by making critical choices prior to life's valleys. Make the choice to refuse to become discouraged. David writes and he says, I will fear no evil. Let me show you a couple of things about that. David says he walks. He walks through the valley. He doesn't run through it. There's no confusion there. He doesn't fly about, he doesn't panic, but he says you walk through the valley. It denotes a spirit that's not frightened, but it's steadfast and it's trusting. Make that decision before you go through a valley experience, that that's what you're going to do. And secondly, David says that he will not fear any evil. It implies a choice, an act of will. David says, I choose to not fear any evil. When you're in one of life's valleys, focus on God's power and his strength. That's what I had to do that night in the bed by my mom. I couldn't focus on all that I was trying to do. I had to focus on what God was able to do. You know, Winston Churchill is famously quoted as saying, when you're going through hell, when you're walking through hell, keep walking. Take a step when you're going through a difficult time, just keep taking a step, realizing that every step you take, the Lord is there with you. Colossians 11 says, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. What are your fears tonight? I've talked with some of you, and I know what some of you are going through. I know you're going through difficult times. You're going through difficult times with family, trying to be in that sandwich generation and take care of aging parents and take care of children. I know there are financial issues, marital issues, a whole host of problems. But let me tell you, whatever valley you're going through, David says, and he would tell you tonight, I've determined for my own life, I will fear no evil, because no matter what you're going through, God is right there with you. God strengthens us according to His ability and His might, not our own. There's one thing that we need to talk about when we talk about strength, when we say, okay, I'm going to depend on God's strength. We can't just confess that with our mouth. How do we do that? It's great to say, okay, God's going to be my strength. Lord is my strength, but this has to be evidenced in your life by what you're doing, not just what you're saying. In order for the Lord to be your strength, you've got to be spending time with him, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer. You've got to end those quiet times. Let the Lord speak to your heart and let him share with you how he can be your strength. You've heard the, uh, The verse about footprints in the sand. I was reading Diane's. Diane sent me her testimony or gave it to me last week. Her husband did. And in it, she had given her Christmas card and she let me read what she had uh, written to people after her diagnosis. And she had talked about how there were times when. She was being carried, physically carried. And you've you've seen the thing about footsteps. we won't read through all of this. But when you're walking with Jesus, there are times when you look and they're not two sets of footprints because you're being carried by Jesus. That's exactly what the Lord wants to do to you. I want you to uh, remember three verses uh, that every time you're going through a difficult time, you can go back and hold on to. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. We went over to the house the other night. They started putting the wall board up in our house today. So before we did that, I wanted to go over with the grandchildren. And Mac and I wrote all through. In every room of our house, we wrote Bible verses. All all through. And these three verses, I was sure to include in there. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And then Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If I ever get to unpack all of my pictures and things that will one day go in my house, I have a beautiful drawing that we framed that I'll put at the front door so that every time we go and come, we'll read the joy of the Lord is your strength. Write these down. Put them in your Bible. Put them on a note card and put them up in your mirror. Uh, frame them and put them on your walls. Constantly saturate your mind with the fact that though you feel weak, the Lord is your strength. I want you to see that secondly, prior to life's valleys, remember that God will be with you. Isaiah 43.2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. God doesn't sit up in heaven and watch and stand back. A few years ago, Bette Midler, sang a song. I love the song, but theologically it is horrible. It's from a distance. From a distance, she said, God is watching you. No, He's not. The Lord promises that He doesn't just put everything in motion and then stand back, but His promise to us is He walks with us Every step of the way. There's seven verses that I went through today and I pulled out about how God carries us through different situations in our life. Just write down these verses and then you can go back and look them up tonight when you get home. Isaiah 40:11. God carries our little ones close. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Isaiah 6 3, when we're sorrowful and distressed, this is a great word. In all their distresses, he too was distressed. When we're distressed, he understands our distress. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up, and he carried them all the days of old. What a beautiful picture of our shepherd. In Deuteronomy 131, it says, in the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. What a beautiful picture. Deuteronomy 32, 11, when we just feel like we can't go on anymore. What a beautiful word picture this is. As an eagle that stirs up her nest, that flutters over her young, He spreads abroad his wings, and he took them. He bore them on his pinions. Are there times you feel like you're so weak that you just can't go on? Let God carry you. His word promises he'll do that. And then Isaiah 46, 4. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you. And I will rescue you. You might not need that today, but there will come a day when you approach 60 and beyond. <laughs> this, this verse will become very important to you. Psalm 91, 11 through 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What a beautiful promise. And then finally, Isaiah forty-one thirteen, Help for us as we confront fear. He says, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, don't fear. Don't be afraid. I will help you. What a precious promise from a heavenly father who loves you. I want you to notice now the change in the 23rd Psalm. In the first three verses, David uses the third person pronoun. He says, he leads, he guides, he restores my soul. But something happens now. David changes to second person personal pronoun. He's going to stop telling you about God, and David's going to start talking to God. He says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's in the valleys of life that we're brought face to face with God. The ultimate becomes the intimate. When you go through a valley, you don't want to be talking about God. You want to hold on to God and you want to talk to him. There's so many people who say they're religious. Let me tell you, when you're going through a valley, you don't want religion. You want a relationship with your father who loves you. When we were told that Wills was sick and that he might have progeria and that the doctors didn't think he was going to live a full life, I didn't need to know facts about a shepherd. That wasn't what I needed at that point. I needed the comfort of my great shepherd. When I was told as a young wife and mother that I needed bilateral mastectomies, I didn't need to read the Baptist faith and message, as wonderful as that is. That's not what I needed. I needed to run to God's messenger. I needed Jesus. When the doctors told us that mother was dying, I didn't need a theological argument for the existence of God. No, I needed the peace and the comfort of a personal Savior. If you talk to mature believers, and there are so many here, So many that have talked to me in these last weeks, they're going to tell you that the times of their greatest spiritual growth were in the valley experiences of their life. That's when you learn things about your Savior that you'd never learn on the mountaintop experience. It's the times that we feel the closest to God, it's in the deep, dark valleys. David certainly had plenty of valleys in his life. Just think about the valleys that David walked through. And I think he's thinking about that as he's writing this part of Psalm 23. He faced the darkness of the night as a shepherd boy when he had to fight the lions and the bears to protect his sheep. He fought giants. Remember Goliath? He suffered through the rebellion of his own son, Absalom. He agonized over the death of his newborn child. He felt the hot, ruthless pursuit of his life by King Saul. His heart was broken when his son committed incest with his daughter. David experienced plenty of deep, dark valleys. In this verse, when he's thinking about that, he says the good shepherd knows and understands. You see, the shepherd knows that some of the best watering holes for their sheep are in those valleys. He takes us there for precious times of refreshing. Some days the sun is going to refuse to shine. Some days it is. Courtney talked about that yesterday. Sorrows will overtake our life. Disease, disappointment, sorrow are going to be met in deep, dark valleys. But I don't need to bear them alone. Ladies, you don't need to bear them alone. David says, I will fear no evil For thou art with me. Why should I fear when he's near? He walks before me and he knows everything that I'm going to be facing in front of me. We talked about that last week. Sheep don't walk in front of their shepherd, they walk behind him, they follow him. He knows everything that you're going to be facing. I want you to see number three, to choose to rely on God's protection and his guidance. Listen to what David says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. David is speaking about the tools of the shepherd. The rod, and you'll see a picture of it here, is about two feet long. It's a stick with a knot, a heavy knot or a root on the end of it. The shepherd was very proficient at throwing this. It it represents strength, but it was almost an extension of him. He could throw it at an animal if it was trying to to get one of his sheep or to get the attention of one of his sheep. You know that's exactly what God does for us. It's the first line of defense for a shepherd as he protected his sheep. It's kind of like a tomahawk for an Indian. That shepherd could use it proficiently. It's strength, just as God does for us. And then I'm sure you know what a staff is. If you've ever been to a Christmas pageant, you know it's the stick with the hook on the end of it that a shepherd uses. It is a symbol of the shepherd's concern and comfort. They can use that staff to reach and pull an animal back if it's about to nibble off that path and get into trouble. They can use it to guide and direct. They can pick the sheep up with it. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what the Lord does for us. I want you to see, fourth, that we can comprehend the makeup of the shadows. He talks about the shadow of the valley of death. Let's look at the makeup of shadows in the valleys. When he walked through, David says that one day a shadow is going to fall across all of our lives. It is. You can count on it. So what happens? I want you to comprehend the shadow. Number one, shadows are always bigger than reality. Do you ever remember as a child now, we didn't have iPads and all the things on TV that kids have now that entertain them. At night, we'd go out and entertain ourselves in the neighborhood with the neighbors. Did you ever get with a street light behind you, I can remember, and you'd let that shadow get out in front of you and you'd walk like it was a monster? You know what? Shadows are always bigger than reality. They seemed larger and larger until you turned on a light in a room and then the shadow disappeared. Number two, shadows can't hurt you. Does a shadow ever hurt you? It may make you hurt yourself. But a shadow can't hurt you. They frighten us, but they don't harm us. And number three, there's no shadow without light. When you're passing through a deep, dark valley, when you think the sun has stopped shining and that you're all alone, I don't want you to remember that with that shadow, there is light. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Even in the midst of that shadow, Jesus is there with you. I love the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth, the valleys of earth, will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Ladies, like everyone else, we will go through valleys. We're going to have disappointments. We're going to have sickness. We're going to walk through the valley of death with loved ones. We're going to experience problems in our marriage, with our children, with our parents. But there is a difference. I want you to see there is a difference in the valleys that the Christians go through and the valley of a lost person. The difference is not the absence of a shadow, but it's the presence of the shepherd. There was a Scottish theologian and expositor who lived in the 1800s who was named Alexander McLaurin. In one of his books, he wrote about a time that he accepted his first job in Glasgow, England, Scotland, Glasgow, Scotland. He says that he was 16 years old and the job was six miles away in Glasgow. He had to walk six miles to get to his job. In order to get to Glasgow, he had to go through a deep, dark ravine, a deep, dark valley. Now, a lot of things had happened in that valley through the years and much superstition had been built up around this valley. People had gone into the valley and hadn't come back out. Animals had died in the valley. There was just all of these superstitions. And Alec said, I was scared to death to even think about going through that valley. But he had to go through the valley to get to his work. So he says, on Monday morning, his father walked with him to work. He got there and his parting instruction was, Alec, come home as fast as you can when you get off work Saturday night. Thinking of that dark ravine, Alex said, but father, I'm going to be tired on Saturday night. Why don't I wait and come home on Sunday morning? And his dad said, oh, no, 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 Alex. I've never been away from you for this long. I think that those six days would seem like six years to me. No, son, you must come home when you get off work Saturday night. And Alex said, yes, father, Saturday night, I'll come home. Alex said, All week long, all he could think about as he worked was, I've got to go through that dark ravine. I've got to go through through that dark ravine. I don't know that I can do it. I don't know that I can do it. He said that fear just built up and built up. He said, when Saturday night came, I was more scared than ever. But he said, I wrapped up my belongings and I walked out to the end right before you go into that gulf. He said, I started whistling just to get my courage up. But he said, when I looked into that deep, dark blackness, I was paralyzed with fear. He said, tears formed in my eyes. And he said, I thought, I cannot, I can't go through it. And he said, he started to turn around and he heard something. And he said, he started to run, thinking that something was coming out of that ravine to get him. But he said, as he listened, he thought, that sounds familiar. He heard footsteps coming up the path. He said, I started to run, but I hesitated. Up out of the darkness and into the pale light as I watched came the head and shoulders of the grandest man on earth. Father was bound to have known I was scared, but he only said, Alec, I wanted to see you so badly that I came to meet you. So shoulder to shoulder, he says, We walked down into the valley, and and I was not afraid of anything. When the time comes for you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or any difficult valley that you go through, I pray that you'll have a calm assurance that your Father is there, your Heavenly Father, to walk side by side. And when you can't walk, when you don't have the strength to walk, He'll pick you up and carry you through. What a precious, great shepherd we have. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, none of us know what we're going to be facing tomorrow, but we know you're already there. Your word, your name, Lord Jehovah, tells us that you're already there in our future. Lord, I pray for these ladies. Whatever valleys that they're going through, I pray that this would encourage them to remember that you, Father, are right there walking with them. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the provision that you have as our great shepherd that you watch over us and you take care of us. We love you, Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.